All right, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. I can't see you, but I trust you're there. I trust I'm not talking to an empty room. The lights are bright up here. Hey, welcome to worship this morning at Central, and we're going to start the service with some baptisms. Y'all good with that? Yeah, that's right. Now I know they're out there. See, they're out there. Hey, let me just say, first of all, that, um, you know, this is what we're really about here at Central. We want to worship the Lord, and we want to glorify Him, and one of the things that God um, impresses upon the local church to do is to make disciples who then make disciples. And today, I'm excited that we're going to baptize three uh, teenagers um, that are coming to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have already done that. Um, and let me just share very, very quickly about the meaning and the purpose of baptism and what this is about. Um, as we like to say around here, this is just water. This isn't washing away anyone's sins, um, but it is a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, he died. And when he was, he, when he was taken off of the cross, he was buried in the ground. But then he, third day, on the third day, he rose from the dead. And these are coming today to say this, that apart from Jesus Christ, they are dead in their sins. Um, and when they go into the water, they're identifying with the burial of Jesus. But when they come out of the water, they've identified with the resurrection of Jesus. They have already received new life. And we're going to celebrate that today. First up, we have Jeffrey. And you come on in, Jeffrey, and take your time. And Jeffrey is coming today to tell you, as well as all of us, that he has already trusted uh, and uh, put his faith in Jesus Christ. Um, well, Jeffrey, I just have one quick question for you. Have you... Uh, become a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. All right. Well, based on your public profession of faith, I baptize you today, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Next up, we've got Damien, and Damien is coming. He and his family are new members of our church, as well as um, Damien is, uh, they're part of our seed ministry on Wednesday nights, and so you might recognize he and his family, but Damien has given his life to Jesus Christ in the past, but he never was, had never followed through with believer's baptism. And so today, Damien, I just have one quick question for you. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Yes. All right. Well, based on your public profession of faith, I baptize you today, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. All right, one more this morning. Is that is Jeriana. She is the sister of Jeffrey, who was just baptized, so a brother sister here. And uh, Jeriana is coming today to tell you this morning that she has trusted in Jesus Christ as her Savior and her Lord. And both of them are part of our student ministry um, here on Sundays and Wednesdays. So, Jeriana, have you become a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes, sir. All right. Well, based on your public profession of faith, I baptize you today, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life.
All right, let me pray for us, and we'll stand and worship. Father, thank you this morning for the public profession of these who have made uh, their public profession of faith, Lord, before us this morning. God, we pray for your hand to be upon our service today as we make much of you, Jesus. Um, thank you for the living picture of your goodness and your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, let's stand and celebrate what God has already done this morning and give him praise for his word. Because I 
Praise the Lord this morning. Y'all may have a seat. Well, welcome, welcome here to Central Baptist Church in Livingston. I'm excited that we get to be in the house of the Lord again. We already get to celebrate that three students have given their lives to Christ and raised their flag publicly to uh, show that they're following Jesus. Let's give them a hand one more time for what God has done in the lives of our church. So it's an exciting morning. We've already sang, and we will do some more of that. And also we'll hear a message from God's Word here shortly. If you're a, me- if you're a, a visitor here with us today, I want to say welcome and uh, invite you to fill out a visitor card. There's information cards in the seat backs all around the room. Um, that just helps us to connect with you a little further. It helps us to know who you are, know that you are here, and reach out to you so that we can maybe help you get plugged into a Bible study or, or uh, other ways that you can get plugged in in the life of our church and just reach out to you. And thank you for being here. Um, also, if you are a member or a guest and you have prayer requests, you can use those same cards to uh, fill them out, put your prayer requests on them, and uh, place them at the spots uh, around the exits of the room so that we can pray for you throughout the week as a staff. Um, also, if you came this morning prepared to give your tithes and offerings, there's offering envelopes that you can use in the same spot in the back of the seats. Uh, you can place your offering in there and uh, deposit as you leave this morning. You can also give online uh, at the church website or drop off any tithes and offerings at the church office during the week. Um, at the conclusion of Pastor Shani's message this morning, there's going to be a time of invitation. And that time of, of response is for you to uh, respond to whatever God is doing in your life. That could be him calling you to uh, accept him in salvation. It could be uh, uh, just come up and receive prayer from pastor or or others who will be down front. Uh, That time is for you to respond. So take that time. We'll play the song as long as we need to so that you get that opportunity to um, experience what God has for you this morning. Uh, Before we continue to sing, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and prepare our hearts. God, thank you today for your goodness, God, and, and how you get to, uh, we, we get to rejoice with you in the harvest that our church has so uh, faithfully and, and um, God, diligently labored in, God, that we get to see the results and salvation and baptism. God, we love that. We love to get to be a part of your kingdom and your mission. So, Lord, uh, as we sing today, God, we, we glorify you, we praise you, because you're the only one who's worthy, Lord. And I, I pray right now that you would remove any distraction, God. Uh, focus our hearts on you so that, so that as we sing the words, as we, as we hear the songs, God, that we remember that this is our offering that we give to you this morning. As humble as it is, Lord, we love you. We want to praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Stand as we sing.
Every song this morning is for you. God, speak to our hearts, remove the scales from our eyes so that we can see you and sing.
worthy forever, God. We lift up your praise this morning. Speak to our hearts through your word. God, be glorified in this time and let us be your instruments in this community. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. It's good singing. You're already seated. Look at you. You're ready to sit down. Hey, listen, we're going to pray this morning, but I want to read from uh, the, the, one of the Psalms in Psalm 37. Listen to what it says. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way or the man who carries out evil devices. It's medicine to our souls this morning as we worship him. Let's pray. God, as we come to you, we thank you for the time that we've had to celebrate new life. We know that, Lord, what those three did at the beginning of our service, Lord, is a picture of what all of us can experience. Many of us have experienced that, Lord. We've given our lives over to you. We've walked through the baptismal waters. There are those in this room, however, that haven't yet, and that is the promise for us. Uh, Lord, collectively, for those in this room who have not trusted in you as their Savior and their Lord, they can have new life forgiveness for sin, redemption, complete and total transformation, the promise of an abundant life here on earth, and the promise of an eternal life in heaven. God, we trust that. We believe in that. We believe this morning in your word, for Lord, we don't know how to worship you. We don't know how to sing. We don't know how to serve. We do not know how to even be together, or even what the significance of this means that we're together apart from your word. So we thank you this morning that your word, it is what instructs us. These names that you have given us that we've been singing here this morning are your names. They were designed to remind us of who you are. But Lord, we look at creation and we see that there is a God that created the heavens and the earth. There had to have been a great and mighty designer, but Lord, you went a step further and you revealed yourself to us in very specific ways, most clearly you revealed yourself in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, you came and you walked this earth and you took on flesh and you dwelt among us. Oh, but you didn't just come to be a man, you came to die for our sins, a a sinless lamb, a lamb of God. He went to the cross for our behalf and you made us new. And then you entered into this covenant relationship with your disciples. And here we are, the church. We thank you for what unites us. For what unites us is not our backgrounds or our ethnicities or how much money we make. God, we thank you that what unites us is your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And when we look around this room, we see so many different generations and so many different preferences and walks of life and past experiences. Some of us grew up in church, some of us did not. Some of us have recent Christians, and some of us have been Christians all of our lives, or most of our lives. But Lord, what unites us as family is your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that, Lord Jesus, all we have to do is look to you to know how to interact with each other, and how to think, 
how to have that type of mind that honors you, a mind that is humble, a mind that, Lord, is, is yielded to the will of the Father. We're here this morning, God, because we want to be yielded to you. We're not here for the pageantry. We're not here to make ourselves feel good, Lord. We're here for you and you alone. We love our friends and the people around us, but Lord, they're not why we're here. We're here for you. We're here to worship you. We're here to express to you as best we know how that we love you. And we thank you for this grace and mercy that you've poured out upon our lives. Thank you for this promise, these promises of your word. And so God, we come to you and pray that we would trust in you because you are good. Lord, we will dwell in this land and we will befriend faithfulness. We will be faithful to you. Lord, we will delight ourselves in you. And we know that you'll give us the desires of our hearts. God, we're gonna commit our way to you, our Sunday, our Monday, our Tuesday, our workplaces, our vacations, our time, our money. We're gonna commit our way to you. We're gonna commit our future in your hands that we don't understand or even know what it is. We're gonna commit our days at school or whatever we're involved in, Lord, we're gonna commit our ways to you and we're gonna trust in you. And we know you're gonna act when you're ready. God, you will bring forth your righteousness, your justice as the new day. We believe that. Lord, we don't find justice in this world. We don't find righteousness lurking around the corner in this world. But we find it in you. Oh, we find justice in you and righteousness in you. We will be still before you, Lord. And we will be patient for you. And we will not fret over the people who prosper in their own way. For Lord, on the surface, it may look like success. But in the end, it leads to destruction. We will not fret over the man who carries out evil devices. Because we know that God, you are the pathway to life. So we thank you. God, we pray for our community. We've been through a lot in the last couple weeks. A young girl murdered. So many people, Lord, reminded of the frailty of human life. We pray this morning for family, a family that is grieving, teachers that are grieving, principals that are grieving, counselors that are grieving, and people in our community, mothers who tuck their children in at night. We pray for healing. But Lord, we pray that, Lord, through this event, that you would somehow gain the glory. This is why we exist, Lord. We stand completely opposite to that. For you represent life. You represent joy, hope, peace. We thank you that in you there is no brokenness. In you there is no sin. In you there is perfection. There is a home. And we thank you that many of in this room have found that home. And God, as we think about how to process this and have the conversations in our community over the next week or so, Lord, and the aftermath of all of this. Help us to point people to the light. 
to point people to truth, to point people to you, Jesus. Because we know that, Lord, we have seen darkness, so help us to point them to the light. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the service. We pray that your blessing would be upon our time and your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning once again. It's good to see you dry. I'm usually wet at the top. That's a, that was a joke. You didn't get it. It's okay. Hey, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to be this morning in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look this morning at a few verses that are very important. Continuing our walk through the mind of the Apostle Paul as he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Paul begins chapter 3, of course, with an admonition, with a warning, if you will. If you look back at that text, he says in verse 2, look out for the dogs. He's going to go and describe what false teachers are like. He knew that from his vantage point, from his position, that there were people that were harming the church by way of their teachings. There were people that were friends of people within the church. They were having coffee, so to speak, hypothetically speaking. They were together at school. They maybe were in the marketplace, wherever they might be, and they would have these conversations. And ultimately, when they would have these conversations, they would begin to talk about the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But these false teachers were elevating self over Christ alone, a song we just sang a moment ago. They were elevating self somehow, some way that they had to somehow follow their own ways, practices, in order to gain acceptance from God. Paul says, don't listen to that. In other words, be always mindful of those things happening. That happens in our culture, in our way of life all the time. They were elevating self over Christ alone, which then reminds Paul, as he's walking through chapter 3, reminds him of his own life. Reminds Paul of his own heart. In fact, if you look at verse 4, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. He began to think about his own life experiences. He began to think about what he inherited as a as a Jew, he began to think about all of his accomplishments and what Paul had begun to do is he had reminded himself that he was devoted to Christ alone. He had taken what he thought were gains in his life, all of the accomplishments in his life, all of the life experiences, all the things that he had inherited in his position and he had moved them from the gains column over to the loss column and he had recognized that all that his life was about now was Jesus, and he's set his life on a course of knowing Jesus Christ. So he was devoted to knowing Christ. You can see this in the thought process as you read chapter 3. I, I, when I think about our lives, so many Christians, as I meet people, somehow lose their hunger to grow in Christ. So many Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, even faithful followers of a church or members of a church or attendees of a church or people who serve and people who give money, we sometimes, if we're not careful, grow stagnant. We grow apathetic towards the word of God. It just becomes white noise to us. Becomes and is raised to the level, the same level in our life as Fox News or, or whatever I see on, on TikTok or, or Snapchat or something else. If you're young, you understand what I'm talking about. You know, you, it, it becomes the same level of importance in our life and it loses its luster. It loses its importance. It loses its depth. It loses its, its radical power in our lives. It just becomes white noise. I don't know why that is. Maybe sometimes we get over our salvation Maybe we haven't experienced the things that 
others have experienced. Maybe you came to faith in Christ when you were young like me. Maybe you didn't experience those things in your life, and so we sometimes just take that for granted, but we lose sight of who we would be apart from Christ. We, we lose sight of what we could have done and, and what our lives do, do look like apart from Christ. And sometimes we grow stagnant. Sometimes we grow apathetic and we begin to coast, spiritually coast on our way to glory. And we can't wait to sing the songs of the faith. And we can't wait to see our friends at church. But we've lost sometimes our vibrancy, our hunger to grow in Christ and we drift. And what happens in our life ultimately is that we leave open the door for Satan to move in and to exploit that in our life and to get us so distracted on other things. But, but Christ is always pulling us back. The word of God is always drawing us back to our first love. I think of this when I look at the words of Paul here in beginning in verse 12. Because when he captures his own life and he captures his identity and he captures who he is all about, oh, he captures it here, right here in chapter 3. Look at verse 12 with me and what it says. Paul says this, not that I have already obtained this. What's he talking about? Well, look back up at verse 11. He's talking about the resurrection from the dead. He knows that one day he's going to spend eternity in heaven. He knows that his life, the struggle with sin, the struggle with the flesh, all that's going on in his life is going to come to an end. The struggle is going to end, and he's going to be in heaven with Jesus. Verse 11 which then flows into verse 12. Remember, he's thinking and he's writing to this church because he wants them to experience just what he has experienced as he is own suffering in jail, in prison, which is where he's at when he's writing this. That's what it says in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the upward call or the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who, of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that, to, that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. It's about knowing Christ. That's the goal of the Christian life. It's about pursuing Jesus Christ and pursuing what he wants for our life. And in trying to achieve that prize, if you will, of knowing Christ. There is a, if you're a sports nut like me, I love sports stories. Been around sports all my life and I love the, what sports teach us. In 1968, there was a famous Olympian that most of you have never heard of because he never won a medal. But he was pursuing the very first medal for um, the country of Tanzania in the 1968 Olympic Games. The Olympic Games that year took place in Mexico City, and he was a long-distance runner, a Tanzanian runner named John Akwari. Maybe you've seen a famous video of him because there is only one famous video of him and a famous interview of him after the Games. He set out on a marathon of running in the Olympic Games. 75 runners begin all to pursue the prize of winning the gold medal. See, what the Bible tells us here, when we think about what Paul is saying to us here, and what God says to us, is that we're to pursue the prize of knowing Christ. We pursue the prize of knowing Christ, and to know Christ is to grow in Christ-likeness, it is to grow in maturity, it is to grow in intimacy with him. 
But the pursuit in our life is to know Jesus, is to know Christ. That's what God wants. What Paul does here in these few verses right here is he is urging the Philippians to pursue this prize of knowing Christ. And he mentions the reason to pursue it. He's going to mention the way to pursue it. And he's going to mention the mind to pursue it with. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to notice with me this morning what Paul says about pursuing Jesus. Because what God wants us to do is to pursue the prize of knowing Christ. Well, we do that by pursuing Christ for the right reason. For the right reason. Verse 12, again, Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, press on there. Pressing on from what? Verse 10 and 11. We just read verse 11. Look back at verse 10. That I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Not know about Jesus. Everyone in this room walked into this room knowing about Jesus. Everyone watching online on the live stream, everyone will watch this sermon later, will have already known who Jesus is, most likely. It's not about knowing Jesus. It's not about picking up a Bible or, or singing hymns of the faith or spiritual songs or, or seeing people in a, in a Bible study class. That's not the purpose of the Christian life. The purpose fundamentally in the Christian life is to press on to what? Verse 10, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. He says it back in verse 8. He says that knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This was Paul's purpose. This was Paul's aim. This was Paul's desire to gain this particular prize. This is what Paul knew about himself. He knew that he had not arrived. He was still here, but he was not there in eternity. And he was dead set on knowing Christ, on becoming spiritually mature in his life, to know and understand what it was like to live for Jesus, to submit his life to Jesus, to follow Jesus fully and wholeheartedly with him. And notice the reason why. Verse 12, he understood two things. There were two parts to this. His reason boiled down to two things. He was, by the way, honest with himself. He was pretty transparent with himself. He was real about his own heart. He was real about his own thought process. He was real about his own life. And in a very vulnerable, in a very transparent moment, what Paul says in verse 12 is, I haven't obtained it. I'm not perfect yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Two parts to it. He knew his life was not perfect yet. Most of you in the room know Miss Marie Radcliffe. She's going to be embarrassed and she's crawling under the seat right now. But if you walk up to Miss Marie, and I love this refreshing comment she always makes, and you ask her how her day is, what is she going to say? I'm almost perfect. I love that perspective. It doesn't matter how you ask her or when you ask her, when you ask her in the office, if you ask her in the hallway, and you say, How's your day going? Well, how are you doing today? She's like, I'm almost perfect. I love that perspective because that's all of us. Paul had that first perspective about his own life, right? That he was almost perfect. He understood that there was room for transformation in his life. There was room for growth. There was room for change. There was room for the Holy Spirit to work. There was an openness for the Spirit of God. He said, Holy Spirit, change me. He said, Holy Spirit, transform me. He said to himself and to the Lord, Holy Spirit, do in me what you want to do in me. Holy Spirit, do in me and bring me to the end of myself that I might understand what it means to truly understand and follow. Jesus with my life. Not about Jesus, not, not, not the facts, not, the, not intellectual knowledge in his, in his own life. He had room to grow. He had that fresh perspective. That's the first part. 
But he also had a second part to this reason to live his life for Jesus. Because his life belonged to Jesus. All we understood and knew that his life was secure. I mean, look at the text with me again. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it. I am already, not that I am already perfect, but I press on to make, me, make it my own. Why? Because he understood this about his own life. Christ Jesus has made me his own. His life was secure in Christ. It didn't matter whether he sinned or he was broken or he made a mistake with his mind or he lashed out with a word or he had some kind of a thought that was outside of the will of God. He knew that God would not throw him away in that moment, but would bring him in and forgive him and restore him in that sense. Jesus Christ had taken hold of the Apostle Paul, not one time, but throughout his life. You look back at verse 8, once again, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul had this perspective and he understood that every day, everything in his life, Jesus Christ had taken hold of it already. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says. It says this, For you were bought with a what? Price. So glorify God in your body. That was the marching order for the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And what Paul's saying this about his own life in this vulnerable, very transparent moment to the church in Philippi, he says about himself, you have been bought with a price. I have been bought with a price. And his life was held captive by Jesus Christ himself. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? That's the question. Has Jesus Christ taken hold of your life? Does, does, do, do you have, does he have your mind? Does he have your thoughts? Does he have your actions? Does he have the motive of your heart? Is the Apostle Paul's testifying right here in verse 12 that Jesus Christ has made him his own? Has Jesus Christ taken hold of your life? You see, we act when we understand the reason why we should act, don't we? We we act for the Lord and we pursue the things that God wants for our life when we take hold of and understand the reason why we should. The fact of the matter is we're all stewards of everything we have. You are stewards of the seat that you're sitting in, the clothes that you're wearing, the money that is in your bank account. account. We are all stewards of the life that God gives us and what God says is in light of the fact that I am not perfected yet, in, the, in light of the fact that Jesus Christ has taken hold of my life, I learn to pray, and I learn to pray well, and I learn to pray dependent, and I learn to pray desperate. In light of all of that, I learn to share my faith, and I go on mission, and I live on mission. Why? Because of the reason which he's given me. I'm not perfect, and I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm still here, and Jesus Christ has taken hold of me. Therefore, I learn to share my faith. I'm actively sharing my faith. I learn to pursue, to, to pursue the Bible in my life. I learn what God wants for my life, to grow in the faith, to grow up in the faith, not to learn Bible facts and intellectual spiritual knowledge, but to pursue a life that when truth touches my heart, truth touches my mind, it transforms me to think differently, to act differently, to make decisions differently in my life. When I understand the reason why, 
I start to give my tithes and my offerings. I begin to move from, from taking a 100% of everything God gives me to beginning to move to a 10% model, sometimes a 20% model. Sometimes in Zacchaeus's world, 50% of all he owned he gave to the Lord. He understood in his life when he had been touched by the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment, he gave away half of what he owned. You see, he understood the reason. He was so overwhelmed with the grace and the mercy of God that he began to give. I serve in that way. I have motivated not because I have to, not because my church tells me I need to, but because I get to. And there is a fundamental shift in my heart, a fundamental shift in my life when I, when I act in light of the reason why I should act. Because I'm not perfect. And Jesus Christ has taken hold of my life. That's where Paul is. That's what drove him. That's what motivated him to do what he wanted him to do. God wants you to press on. God wants you and I to press on. And it's only possible because God has made it possible in your life. The grace and mercy of God, the spirit of God living in you, the fact that you're not arrived where God wants you to be, and yet Jesus Christ has taken hold of your life, motivates you, it propels you to press on. He has made himself available to you and I through by way of his grace in our lives. And he wants to take hold of your life. He wants to possess you like he possesses Paul here. And he gives you a reason. He gives you the reason to pursue him. He gives you the endurance to pursue him. He gives you the assurance to pursue him in your life. And along the way, he gives you the joy, all the joy that you need in your life to pursue him. It's a purpose to be Christ-like. Pursue him in this way. When you become Christ-like, come become Christ-like in the way that you react to certain things, how you think in certain things, how you live in certain ways, what you value in your life. Why? Because you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. And he's still working in your heart. To pursue Christ for the right reason. Paul then goes on to say that we are to pursue Christ not just for the right reason, but with the right way and in the right way. I mean, it's very clear what he says in verse 13 and 14. Look at your Bibles. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. What does he say? I press on. I do not forget what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on in verse 14 toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, here, there's the destination. He says, here's the way to the destination. There is a way in which you do press on. Paul's simple goal was to be conformed, to have intimacy with Jesus Christ. He knew who he was, and he knew that transformation takes place not from the outside in, but from the inside out. But there was one thing. And he understood, look at verse 13 and 14, that we don't grow without intentionality. We don't become like Christ unless we pursue him, unless we yield to him, unless we conform to him instead of conforming to the world. You see, he says there is a way here in verse 13 and 14, not dwelling on the things in the past or pursuing the future. He says, in, in fact, he says there in verse 13, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, what? Forgetting what lies behind. So there is this pathway in which I am to grow. And the way in which I am to grow, Paul says in his own life, he's worked through this in his own mind and in his own heart. He says, listen, I am forgetting what lies behind. It's refusing to look backward. 
It's refusing to think about and dwell on the victories of the past, to dwell on the the failures of the past. Paul certainly had seen God move powerfully in his life. Paul certainly had grown powerfully in his life in the past. Paul understood as well of his failures. He understood of the failures that he had committed sin both before he met Christ and while he had been a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. But he says here, forget what lies behind. You can't pursue what God wants if you keep looking back. Have you ever tried moving, walking forward and backwards at the same time? Have you ever tried looking forward and backwards at the same time? You're either going to look forward or you're going to look backward. You're either going to walk forward or you're going to walk backwards. And that's Paul's point here about his own spiritual life. He says, listen, I forget what lies behind. And then he does what? Straining forward to the future. He reaches towards what God wants in the future. As he walked and obeyed into the future, this is him straining forward to the future. He didn't know what was around the corner. He understood what was in the past, but he didn't know what was around the corner. He didn't know what was beyond the horizon in his life. But he focused on future riches, on the future things that God was going to do in his life. I think about that in our own individual life. God wants us to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. We recommit ourselves to pursue the prize that Jesus Christ wants in our life. Look at verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There it is. That's where his focus was. That's where his attention rested. Pursuing Christ is like running a race. You know, it's easy to start running, right? You just move a little faster than you normally walk. Now you're running. But for a running coach... It's not as easy as that. A running coach will begin to train you and teach you all about not from the ground up, from the bottom down, and the way that you run. Begins with your head. Begins where your head is, where your eyes are, and the focus of where your eyes are and where your head is, slightly towards and ahead of your shoulders. Then your ears being aligned with your shoulders. Then your Your chin, not down and not up, but in a place where you're constantly looking ahead. What you will never see in an Olympic race, in a sprinting race, or if you go to any particular track meet in our community, what you will not see is a runner coming out of the blocks and looking up at his mom and dad, waving as they're running down the track. Why is that? Because they'll not win the race. They'll slow down. They'll drift. They'll be all over the place. Where is their attention? Every running coach will tell you that you, when you look up out of the blocks and you come out of the blocks, you have your eyes on what? One singular point and you run to that point. And in many cases, you run through it. That's your focus and that is your goal. What Paul's saying here about his own spiritual life in verse 13 and 14 is just as a runner runs the race, we are to run in such a way. He makes this point over in, with the Corinthian church again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. This is what he says. Do you not know that a race is a, uh, in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Don't get distracted with the things of the past. 
Don't look backward. It doesn't mean that they're meaningless. It doesn't mean that my failures in the past are forgotten in every respect or that, 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 that I don't acknowledge that they were there. It doesn't mean that the victories of my past and the spiritual victories of my past are, are insignificant. By the way, it doesn't mean that the spiritual failures or the spiritual uh, victories in the life of our church in the past are insignificant, are meaningless. But what Paul is saying here is that we are to, as individuals, run forward and always look ahead. This is the way in which we understand and we walk into the greatness of God and what God wants in your personal life and your individual life and collectively uh, for us as a church. We run after Jesus until you can no longer run anymore. That's what the purpose and point of Paul's life is about. You run after Jesus until you can't run after him anymore. And you're in the presence of Jesus in heaven. You do that through the disciplines of the Christian life. You do that through by way of living your life for him and purposing that you're going to live for him. You do that by way of getting outside of your comfort zones and doing things that are spiritually uncomfortable, that God might grow you, that God might transform you, that he might bless others. You do that by moving away from sometimes our, our, our personal preferences and so forth in order to follow what God is saying and what God is doing in order that we might reach even more lost people. And what God does as we continue to move out of that space and get our eyes off of the past and on the future, guess what God, God, God does? He grows us. He grows you as an individual. He grows me. He grows us. You see, we're to pursue Christ for the right reason. We're to pursue Christ in the right way. But notice what he's going to say on the back end of this text. We pursue Christ with the right attitude. Verse 15 and 16, very quickly, Paul says this on the very back end of that passage. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold fast or true to what we have already attained. God wants to make you spiritually mature. God wants to grow you into maturity. By the way, that word mature right there is the same word for perfect. He wants to make you perfect. He wants you to strive and he wants to transform you into someone that you're not right now in your seat. That I'm not as I'm standing here on this stage. God is wanting to transform me. He is wanting to transform you. And the spiritual maturity in our life is an attitude. It is a mindset and understanding that I am not there yet. I'm not mature, I'm not perfect. Paul says that about his own life. He says, listen, those of us who are mature think this way. He understands and knows that this is the pathway that God wants for him. I've gotta to get to a place in my life where I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to pursue God's plan for my life. And that begins when I begin to think like Christ. When I begin to think like Jesus. And I begin to have that mind of Christ that Paul has already spoken about in chapter 2. Not only that I might have that type of mind, but that I might have that type of walk in my life. That's the kind of mindset that Paul wants us to have and what God wants us to have. This leads to verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. What has the Lord already given you? His word He's already given you and shown you how to live your life and how to think well. What God wants us to do is to submit to it and to live that out. Just live it out. Let the word of God transform you. Let the word of God transform me. 
Let it dissect my thoughts. Let it begin to keep in check my attitude and my, my thoughts. And when I begin to do that and I begin to filter my life through the word of God because he's already given this to me. Paul says God's already given him his word, what is true. He's already attained it. Oh, that's pursuing the prize of knowing Christ. That's pursuing the one that Jesus Christ has given us. Listen to me, when Jesus Christ saved you, when you became born again, those of us in the room that are Christians, God set you on a path of pursuing him. He set you on a path of knowing him, regardless of your age, regardless of your season of life, regardless of whether you're poor or rich in the eyes of our, of our culture. God's given you the opportunity to know him and to pursue him. That is what keeps us equal at the foot of the cross. All of us can live this way. Church, that's how we are to live. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says this. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be is not yet appeared, but what we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There's the prize. You and I pursue that prize and we pursue it with faithfulness. So in the final stages of that race, John Aquari, in the early stages rather of that race, John Aquari begins to cramp And as he begins to cramp up, 75 people begin that race, 18 quit along the way, and as he cramps up, he falls, his leg is gashed open, he bruises his shoulder, he dislocates his right knee. Over an hour after the winner of the race crosses the finish line, the very last runner limps across the finish line with only a couple thousand people there. A news crew leaves the medal ceremony and runs to and rushes to the finish line as the sun is already set in Mexico City. Because of the altitude, and he wasn't used to running in that altitude, he had cramped up, fallen, injured himself severely, and he limps across the finish line three hours after he began. The news crew asks him, why, what are you doing? What, why, why didn't you quit along with the 18? They were much, they, they were not as injured as you were. John Aquari says this, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish it. And he finishes the race. Church, individual, pursue the prize of knowing Christ. Finish the race. You do it for the right reason. You do it in the right way. And you do it with the right mindset. And if you will, and in the end, that's all God asks of you is to be faithful. That man, the Lord has given every one of us the opportunity to know him in an intimate way. He's given every one of us the opportunity to know him in a spiritual way, in a way in which we become more Christ-like, in a way that we become humble, in a way that we become more faithful to the end. That's what God wants for your life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Listen, God wants faithfulness. That's all he asks for. He wants us to pursue him and to be faithful to the end that we might gain that prize. I'm going to talk to us this morning as Christians, as followers of Christ. I want you to just spend some time together this morning with the Lord, individually with the Lord.
just recommitting your life to him. If God's been speaking to you about committing to him in a deeper way, spend some time with him right now and just ask him to show you in your life where you might have grown stagnant or distracted with things that are not fruitful. And ask the Lord to take those things away from you and to give you another pathway, give you a pathway to pursue him again and to know him in more of an intimate way. Listen, we want to pray this on behalf of our church, that we would be a church that pursues Christ in this community, that we would be different, that we would be distinct, that we would look less like the world and more like Christ. That's what we want. And that is not something we do as an organization. It is something we collectively do as individuals saying, we're going to follow you, Jesus. We're going to be committed to you. That's where you are this morning. I want to ask you to recommit yourself to him. That, Lord, get my eyes off of things that are not fruitful and edifying and bring you glory and put my eyes on the things that most bring you the most glory. You saw this morning some baptisms. What a picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you want to trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, and we're going to give you a chance to do that today. If you are here this morning and you want to follow through with believers' baptism, listen, we'll keep it filled. And you come forward and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to be baptized. We're going to be here at the front for you. If you just need prayer, if you want to join our church, if you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, Listen, there'll be people here at the front. I'll be here at the front to pray with you over any matter. But let me pray for us and we'll stand and sing together and worship him here at the end of our service. Father, thank you for your word and your word does not return void. We believe that. We believe in your truth. So we pray right now that you would move in our hearts, stir our hearts, that we would not just receive your word, but that we would act upon it. So give us faith that we would follow you now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the tears had
you can be seated this morning. And um, yeah, so the Lord is uh, moving and working in several in our room here. And um, listen, I'm always available after the service. There are people available to pray with you and talk to you about any matter going on in your life, salvation, uh, any decision that God might be uh, speaking to you and impressing upon you uh, about. Um, just a couple very quick announcements, and then um, we're going to introduce again those who were baptized this morning and give them a certificate. And, um, and those who were voted in as new members last Sunday night, we want to ask you in just a moment to come forward. Um, and so um, we'll, uh, we'll talk about them in a minute. But listen, this morning um, we've got, um, I want to remind you the next weekend we start our week of prayer for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And so that offering will start next week, but we'll also start a week-long prayer. So just want to mention that to you. We've got some things planned, of course, around our church to uh, some creative things like muffins for missions and things that are in the, in the pipeline for that over the next week or two. Um, but we have a, a goal of around $9,000 for that missions offering, and I'll be talking more about it next weekend. But just want to put that in your ear going into this coming week. Um, also, if you're part of our Kids Central ministry in our nursery side or children's side, there's going to be a... Uh, a training slash lunch next Sunday right after the Bible study, the, the last, the second Bible study of the morning at noon, 1215, over in the Family Center. So you'll be getting, you'll hear about that, but I just want to mention that kind of broadly this morning, okay? Those who were baptized, y'all come on up. We'll give you a quick certificate. If you are um, a new member of our church, y'all come on down. Canos, come on down. It's okay. Y'all come on down. And the shoemaker's here. Yep. Come on down. There you go. Y'all welcome them as they come. Across here. Come on down this way. All right. There's Damien. All right. There's his family. All right. So, Damien, here's your certificate. Jeriana. And then Jeffrey, all right? And then you guys, welcome. These are some of our newer members that uh, joined our church and you voted on last Sunday evening. So y'all welcome them officially to our church family. All right. It's not so bad up here, is it? It's okay. It's okay up here. 
All right. Hey, let's have a quick word of prayer over these who've made decisions, and then you come and welcome them and, and, and celebrate all that God's doing in their life, okay, as you leave today. Father, thank you for the time we've had to worship you. Thank you for the decisions made and for your Holy Spirit continuing to move among us. And we pray your blessing, um, Lord, on our Bible study here at 11 o'clock. But we also pray that, Lord, you would go with us, point us to people who need Jesus in our community this week. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Because he lives.